from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 356. Today's show is brought to you by Fitbod, Hello, and Bombus. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Federico Vitici. Hi, Federico. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am very good, my friend. I'm very good. How are you? I'm um, actually, you know, this is uh, this. It's way too hot in Rome mm. right now. Mm-hmm. So I have I, I've installed all these new um, HomeKit thread enabled sensors made by Eve on my balcony, and it says 35 degrees, which is like un- it's unacceptable That's at 7 hot. p.m. 7 p.m. 35 degrees is how why we've been having those kinds of temperatures here over the last week you know really yeah it's been disgusting <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, been it really very, is. it's been very rough for it us. really is and it doesn't help that this mac mini that i have mm. which is an intel mac mini it gets really it gets quite warm it's and surprisingly it, hot those things don't they right mm-hmm. why though like i really want to get an m1 uh, mac mini pro mm-hmm. at some point or m2 whatever it's going to be called i don't know uh, it gets surprisingly hot actually i don't know if it, maybe there's something wrong with my mac mini because it's it's not even warm it's hot and if i place my hand on it it, it, it kind of bothers me actually um so my mac mini is way too hot uh, and I feel like it's contributing uh, to to the to the hotness of the mm. room. You should just uh, replace it with another Intel NUC. No, just I, litter I, those things around yeah, the apartment. Man, I mean, I love my NUC, and we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> but man, Windows is just gross. I, like I can tell you that. Uh, I mean, it, it's beautiful. It does. It's beautiful for what it, for what it does functionally mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Man, it's not something that like it reminded me why I moved away from Windows uh, mm. thirteen years ago. Mm-mm, not for me. Big Money Hackett isn't here today. Uh, I, I believe he's, he's in a jungle somewhere taking pictures of computers. I think that's what he's doing today. Yeah, he's, he's swimming on in a, a pool of money, a, a computer safari. Yep, and then yeah, he's, he's he's swimming in his pool of money. Which, by the way, if you want to contribute to that pool of money, make the money pool a little bit bigger. Three days to go as we're recording this uh, on Stephen's Kickstarter. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to back it. But this will be your final warning. And aren't we good friends that he's not even here and we're promoting his his money pit? That yes, I think we are really good friends. I and, think we're good uh, friends. For this reason, we are entitled to fifteen percent each. Ooh, of the that's a proceeds. good. Nice. That's a good. That's a good percentage. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're thirty percent divided by two, fifteen percent each. I feel like that's uh, that's a good compromise. We're fair, so Stephen. Yeah, we're really fair. Um, so Stephen, you can send in the uh, check to uh, my address. Both of those checks, I will take care of mailing Mike. No, I don't want a check. One. No? No. Who who does anything with checks? It's not 1974. I'll take Just electronic some payment. Some people do. Some people do use checks. I think that's bananas. I don't understand uh, that. I don't think I think I've only used a check once in my life when I needed to uh rent our current apartment mm-hmm. many years ago. Uh, the owner wanted like a down payment with a check for some reason. I believe we used a check similarly when we were buying our house for something. I don't remember exactly what it was for. It wasn't like the deposit or anything, but I know that there was like one thing where they needed a check and it was just like, I don't know how this is helpful for anybody because if I I could just send you the money right now and you'll have it immediately rather than waiting for me to mail this check to you and then four more days for you to receive the money. But Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Old people. I have received my Ricky mascot. I'm jealous. I guess post's bad for you, huh? 
Yeah, they, they really are. Yes. So I'll put a link in the show notes. You may remember this, this. We spoke about this ages ago. Ellen, wonderful listener who's in our Discord, shared that they had made a Ricky mascot and we then commissioned Ricky mascots for each of us. Mine has arrived and now sits next to my iMac. My Ricky mascot came with uh, additional features. I have medals. Uh, because I am the wow. current reigning champion, the consolidated royal leader of the Rickies, uh, both annual and keynote. So I have a little annual and keynote medal, uh, one of each, for my little mascot, Ricky. That's incredible. Um, he just sits there looking at me now. I love this so little thing. You named him Ricky. Oh, that is, is the, that is the official name. mascot name. It's just Ricky. I kind of feel like I want to... I want to uh, call. I want to call him uh, the Italian version of that. <gasps> Maybe mine should be Richard, because that's like super British, right? To be like Richard. Or so so, but why would you? How would you say little Richard in in like with a British way? Like Richie? Is that? No, that's not British, right? Well, I could just say Richard. What's wrong with Richard? Does it have? Oh, it could be Richie. It's Ricky. It's like it's a, a smaller version of Richard. Okay, yeah. we could be Richie. Ricci? Yeah. Um, in, in Italian, I guess it could be Riccardino. Well, that seems like you've, you've, you've taken a long one. Why couldn't I have Richard, but you can have Riccardino? <laughs> I don't see. Okay, so you can have Richard. I um, feel like yours Steve- would be like Ricci, right? Like R-I-C-C-I. Okay, so Stephen will have Ricci. You yep. will have Richard. I will have Riccardino. Okay, so it's R- okay. Ricky, Richard, and Riccardino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, I like. I know I said it really badly, but I also kind of like that because you got like all the fans like Riccardino. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> oh, I can roll the full R's, baby. I know, if you want I, it. I can do it, Riccardino. Mm. See, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like rolling the middle R is just showing off. <laughs> really? Yeah. The, the one in the middle. I don't think you need to roll both of them. Riccardi. Yeah, well, it, it comes natural. Well, of course it does, because you're just this like beautiful Italian over there. Mm. Did you see MKBHD's video about the iPhone models? Oh, this is the one with the yeah, this is the one with the um, with the huge camera bump, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I've seen this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I just wanted to point it out because I think we kind of mention it every time because history has shown that whoever it is that gets these camera models for MKBHD tends to be pretty much on the money. Mm-hmm. It's big camera, but yeah. <laughs> they're big. It's, it's, it's big. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, ch- chunky. It's like <laughs> half of the phone on the big phone. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Um, I mean, this is the trend, right? You yep. look at other phones and uh, th- that camera bump is, you know, Apple uses a square version. Um, what's it? Uh, Huawei uses the rec- tall rectangular mm-hmm. one. And this is like these phones, the, the backs of these phones, they are becoming like, it's not a, a like the back of a phone with the camera module. Yeah. It's the camera module that also has the back of the phone in it. Yeah. Uh, that we're starting to get to a point where percentages are mattering. Yeah. Like how much of the percentage of the back of your phone is cameras? <laughs> it's just all cameras. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at this point, considering the 12, it got so big. I kind of don't care how big it gets now because we, we passed like an event horizon, I think, on it. And now it's just like with the 12 Pro Max, it's such a large camera bump. I just kind of feel like at this point, I don't. I kind of don't care how much bigger it gets because it's already gotten too big, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at this point, if you just want to feel the entire top section, 
you know, and extend to the right side as well. I feel like at that point, just go for it, right? That could happen with the, the mean, periscope cameras. Yeah, I mean, or you want to put like another two lenses up there? Mm-hmm. Um, just go for it. I mean, at that point, you've already surpassed like the threshold of like half, uh, you know, if you draw a vertical line in the middle of the of the Apple logo on the back mm-hmm. of the iPhone. In these mockups, the camera module is already way past the halfway line. So, I mean, just go for it and fill the entire top section, right? Uh, we're getting there, I think. It's, I don't know, but you look at older iPhones and it's, start, and if, and it's like, huh, remember when cameras used mm-hmm. to be small? And like... Um, not this huge thing, but also these phones, they take incredible pictures and videos, yep. so I'm fine with it. And honestly, the bump doesn't really concern me nah, because I'm using a case. Know. Yeah, uh, it doesn't really bother me But there's still, like, there's still a few people like you know, when these reviews come out that get so upset about, oh, when I put my phone on the table, it wobbles. If it's I funny touch to it. me that like every video, like you see that it's like as if it's that was I think novel when it was like the first time, but now, it, <laughs> yeah. it will do it every time now. Like yeah. I don't, you know, I I don't know who's still surprised about camera bump yeah. wobbles. Yeah, so uh, I'm fine with it. I mm-hmm. use a case on my on my iPhone, so the bump doesn't really uh, annoy me at all. It just when I look at it, I recognize yeah, it's, it's a big bump. It's it's not. It's getting bigger and bigger every year. So, I mean, hopefully this means that the cameras will also get better. And I am really excited about the uh, rumored improvements to the ultra wide camera coming to the iPhone 13 this year. I feel like. I really want to use the ultra-wide camera more. Me too. But every time I do, you know, the low-light performance mm-hmm. isn't great. And those pictures, you can you can really tell the difference. You can get great pictures out of it under the right conditions. Under the right conditions. There has to be a lot of light, preferably direct sunlight. Like, when I took pictures of the Colosseum mm-hmm. in, in bright, you know, uh, daytime light, those were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you like... You could see that it was taken with the ultra-wide, but it was not that grainy or, you know, low quality. You go there in the evening or you go there, you know, uh, on a cloudy day and you start having problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to these improvements in, in, the, in the 13. But yeah, it's a big bump. Yeah, if you are a year-over-year upgrading person... Uh, this is not going to be one of those years where you'll be able to reuse your case. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, like that used to be a thing, and it has been a thing, but I feel like it's uh, it's stopping. I reckon, by the way, uh, I can say this, especially now Stephen's not here, I don't think this is 12S, this is 13. I feel like that they, they this is going to be a, a pretty decent jump year over year. I honestly feel like they're not going to do the S upgrades anymore. I don't think so. Like, either. at all. At all. So and I think especially one of the benefits for doing is is the the competition's not doing that anymore. Exactly. So, so if you do it, it feels like you're falling behind. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, Samsung has the Note 25 and you have the 13S. It's like, oh, well, you're a step behind, aren't you? Because yeah, they already went up to 20. Yeah. Samsung. So yeah. <laughs> they're already so like six in front. <laughs> can't, keep, yeah. can't keep going and get that lead on you. Yeah, if anything, you should jump forward and say, well, it's so advanced that we decided to go from the iPhone 13 to the iPhone 17. And like, and, and you gain back those numbers if you do this enough times. Sort of like uh, Microsoft did with Windows when they mm-hmm. jumped from Windows 8 to 10. Um, I wonder if Apple will ever do that. I mean, they did that 
though once. Yeah, they went from there was no iPhone nine. There was no iPhone nine. So, I mean, maybe they could do that again. I just want them to get rid of the numbers. I'm going to keep saying this until they do it. Uh, I don't. I don't uh, have a better solution. But I hate the numbers now. Uh, so you're like what? Use the year like uh, iPhone twenty twenty one, for example. That wouldn't. Or, but no, but it's still numbers though. I just want, don't want numbers anymore. The new iPhone. Right. I would be, I think, mostly fine with that. I don't know. I feel like the numbers make it easy for people to describe what it is. But we get you by know? of all the other products. Like what, for example? iPads, Macs. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Hmm. But maybe, maybe the iPhone specifically requires a little bit more um, context. Because it is an, it is one of the products that does get reviewed uh, re- like renewed every year, which isn't yeah. which isn't typical, but like for the rest yeah. of Apple's product line. But still, yeah. I just think at a certain point, like once we're up to like iPhone seventeen, I just feel like we've gone too far. Like you know what I mean? Like that number. It, it, once you're kind of like on the past the midway point of the teens, I just feel like it's getting a bit clunky now. Mm. So when I was a kid and I was playing Final Fantasy VIII, I thought. Oh, imagine when when I'm older, uh, Squaresoft used to be called Squaresoft, not Square Enix. Mm-hmm. They will have to change the 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 way that they name these games because Final Fantasy 15 is gonna look ridiculous. That's what I thought when I was a kid playing Final Fantasy 8. And now there is Final Fantasy 15, and there's Final Fantasy 16 coming out. I get it. It's kind of ridiculous to have these large numbers as a modifier next to a product name. But also, they seem to get the job done in explaining to people what the product is. Yeah. So, I think they're going to stick around for a while. I mean, sure, iPhone 30 potentially sounds ridiculous, <laughs> right? Oh, is that the iPhone 31? <laughs> like, I, I don't, don't think we're going to get that far with the iPhone. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. But I think for now, the numbers will stay. This episode of Connected is brought to you by FitBud, the fitness app that provides a personalized exercise plan, a fitness plan to actually fit you. Because when it comes to fitness, FitBud believes that everybody can be better. Whether you're working out every single day or a few days a week, FitBud's algorithm will use data and analytics to help you build on your previous workout so that your next workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last. FitBud has been fine-tuned by certified personal trainers to bring the very best practices of strength training time right to you you have a workout program that is tailored exactly to suit your needs so it's going to be matched to your body experience environment and goals because look it can be hard to know exactly how much you should be doing while you're exercising so fitbod will figure it out for you so you don't have to worry about under or over training it's going to mix up your muscle groups your exercises your sets your reps your weight over time to make sure that you're on top form and staying on the path that's right for you to help you take those steps towards becoming a better version of yourself if you're working out at home, FitPod has a bunch of bodyweight-only workouts, so you don't need any equipment. But these are great for indoors, are great for outdoors. But if you do have access to a gym or have access to some exercise equipment, they have stuff for every scenario. It doesn't matter what you uh, have on hand. It doesn't matter where you are. FitBod is there to help you with any exercise routine that you need. I really love FitBod's app for the Apple Watch. So on the phone, you get loads of details, like you get the little videos to show you how to do the exercises and you get all the steps. But once you've maybe gotten used to some of them, 
You don't need to see that every time. And I don't want to be picking up my phone constantly during my workout because I feel like sometimes I can get distracted. So being able to just see like, okay, I'm doing this part next. And you can even adjust the reps and and the sets on the watch too if you want to make any adjustments. I find that to be really great. And you can just tap through exercise to exercise. Fitbod is available on iOS and Android. And you can get started right now by going to fitbod.me slash connected. There you will get 25% off your Fitbod membership that's fitbod.me that's f-i-t-b-o-d.me slash connected to try out fitbod for free and get 25 percent off your fitbod membership our thanks to fitbod for their support of this show and relay fm so we were hoping to get the federico vatici magsafe pop socket uh, review today yeah. weren't we yeah nothing's arriving for you no they're still stuck in northern italy mm. for some reason Maybe they got like magnetically stuck to something. They can't get them out of the truck, you know. They're maybe, stuck to the side maybe of the they're wall. stuck somewhere in mm-hmm. Milan, and they mm-hmm. just you know they're stuck here. Um, I don't know. The postal service here is not not great, mm-hmm. not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell. So I can tell you about something else, MagSafe related, okay. which is sort of a dream come true for me from one of my favorite brands, friends of the... I mean, they're not really friends. They're not the friends show. of the show <laughs> by any... It's just <laughs> friends in the sense of Federico buys a lot of stuff from them. I, I mentioned this brand before, Pitaka, P-I-T-A-K-A. Uh, I've used their cases before. They are carbon, uh, carbon fiber cases. They're super thin and scratch resistant. They're not actually carbon fiber, right? Like, it, this is like a whole big thing. Like, this is a whole big controversy in YouTube for reasons it's not worth getting into it looks like carbon fiber but it's like yeah. this other material but it's still yeah. like a super strong material yes and it looks like carbon fiber so yeah. it's kind of to give you the sense of the pattern that mm-hmm. you will see on these cases so pitaka uh so i get an email actually this is a fun story um so i use uh really friends of the show at same box i use same box myself to organize my email and every once in a while, just to, just to make sure that I catch false positives, I go into my same black hole uh, folder. And I noticed last Friday, I believe, uh, that an email from Pitaka had gone to the same black hole folder. Uh, because maybe I accidentally trained box a while back. Anyway, they announced a new line of MagSafe-compatible wallets. Uh, so they have two models, the Wallet 2 and the Wallet 2 Pro. Now, these are modular wallets that are compatible with MagSafe. So, in the Wallet 2 Pro, you can put... uh, So, this is a slightly chunkier uh, version of the Wallet 2 because you can put um, two chip and pin cards and two magnetic strip cards. Um, That right there is one of the reasons why I wanted to get this product. Uh, I've been using the Apple um, MagSafe wallet case for the past few months. it's not kind of falling apart at this point. I noticed that one of the layers of that holds the uh, the outer uh, leather um, uh, part is now unglued from the inner layer. I mean, ah, your perfect, your perfect MagSafe wallet. I'm not upset. Leather products. To pieces. This, hap- this happens. This happens, right? This happens. Um, I've been using that a lot, but it's limited to three cards. And lately, especially with the digital vaccine passport thing that we have called the Green Pass. Um, 
I've realized that soon I will have to carry at all times a fourth card around with me, which is called the... Um, I mean, it's basically a card for the public healthcare system that yeah. is issued to every Italian citizen. Yeah. Uh, and I will have to carry that around because that contains proof of my um, vaccination. So I started thinking about this and I, and I realized, okay, uh, well, I guess we're going to... Maybe I will not carry my um, credit card around anymore, but just my ATM card. But then, like, this Wallet 2 Pro came around at just the right time. So four cards and that was enough to pique my interest. But then I opened the product page and I noticed that they're selling this idea of a of a modular design. Um, so I believe uh, the modular design applies to the slimmer uh, wallet to model as well. But like I mentioned, uh, the uh, I prefer the chunky look of the wallet to Pro. So with the modular design, what you can do is you it appears you can swap in different layers of the wallet. So, for example, you can add an extra layer if you want to store more cards. Or you can add a money clip, which is literally like this, this little money clip that you attach to the wallet if you want to store um, some cash uh, with you in the wallet. You can add a tech module. So the tech module is this uh, small layer where you can store lightning adapters, a SIM card ejector <laughs> tool. Come on, this is a too USB C cable. Um, <laughs> you can also add uh, what else? There's a box layer that lets you store like keys and a coins. A, a little box. It's a little <laughs> box. You can you can check out the photo. You can store I'm looking keys. at it. I'm looking like at there's it. There's a four, uh, five coins and a key in the box layer, and you know. You know, I'm all about modularity, right? I'm all about making a thing your yeah. own by adding different components to it. Um, I feel like this product speaks to my heart. And so I went in and I put in an order for the entire <laughs> uh, suite of uh, accessories. So you got um, the tech module? I got it all, man. The box layer. Um, the box, the money clip, and I walk around with a wallet that's like six layers thick. It's gonna be banana. You just be walking around with a box that has a phone stuck to it. So, okay, real talk. Uh, mostly, I'm interested in this, like, um, because I want to write about it, but also, so for everyday usage, I don't think I'm gonna be. Uh, the, the what What's interesting for me about, about this design is I can add the parts that I need based on what I'm doing. So when I'm going to the beach, for example, yeah. I need to have cash because the the, the, the little uh, bar that's on the beach uh, they don't have a, they don't let you pay with an with an AT or with an ATM card or a, uh -huh. a credit card. It's uh -huh. cash only. So I gotta have cash. Or when um, uh, say that I'm uh, that I'm going to the center of Rome and I need to park my car, I uh, usually I gotta have some coins to pay for a parking ticket, right? Um, so I could add in the box layer in that case, for example. Um, so I don't know. This design, I think it's really intriguing. I'm a big fan of Pitaka cases. What is the deal with the, like, why do they say two chip and pin and two magnetic stripe cards? I don't understand what the difference I is supposed to be. I feel like maybe the chip and pin cards are ever so slightly thicker than the magnetic strip cards. Um, huh. I don't know. Could be wrong. Because they're also talking about degaussing. So I wonder if it's like, that's like to anti-magnetic. 
So maybe yeah. they have like you can put two chip and pin cards in one part, then they have a little layer and you can put the other two. Uh, I think Winter so. Charm is saying there is a minor thickness difference between the two. Interesting. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so yeah, uh this thing I suppose if I add in all the layers it's going to look ridiculous and I absolutely cannot wait to to do this um oh my. to my phone. Mm-hmm. I want to see I want to see what happens. So to prepare for this Pitaka case, I got a, a black leather uh, case made by mm. Apple. I had a red one and I felt like, you know, maybe a black one could be a better combo, visually speaking. So I'm using a black leather case at the moment and I'm waiting for the Pitaka cases, for the Pitaka wallet coming from China. It says, so I got it in parcel and it says, port of departure. Uh, from the Yanwen facility. Well, we'll see. I'm probably going to get this at some point in September mm. because it's going to use the Italian Postal Service. It already says that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm probably getting this in a month if if things go well. Let's hope it will work with your new phone. <laughs> well, you got to think that MagSafe <laughs> at least will stay compatible, right? You got to hope. Um, you got to hope. I mean, I really think it will. Yeah, so, obviously... I will have to get a new case, but I feel like existing MagSafe accessories will stay compatible. It'll be a really silly move to break MagSafe compatibility on the second year of MagSafe. Uh, so, yeah. I did have this thought the other day about the MagSafe battery pack where like, what makes it better than the other ones that they've done is it will last more than one phone. Mm-mm. You know, Mm-mm. where the cases yeah. were just it will last, it will work only with the phone that you've got, possibly. Yeah, possibly, yes. I have a roundup of iPad mini rumors for you. Okay, this product, okay. So last week, Chance Miller at 9to5Mac reported that a new iPad mini would be introduced this year with a design similar to the latest iPad Air, which was styled like the iPad Pro and now pretty much every other product that Apple makes, right? Like thin bezels, flat sides, that kind of thing. Uh, it will be powered by the A15. It will feature USB-C and a smart connector. Uh, and there are other reports that also suggest that Touch ID will be in the power button. What, what, what could you do with a smart connector on a iPad mini? Um use a magic keyboard with it. Do you think they would make one that small? I mean, I guess oh, they yeah. could. Oh, yeah. Did Apple ever make a keyboard for the iPad mini? I don't think so. I have used them back in the day, but I don't think Apple ever... Like, they don't make a, an iPad mini keyboard. Was there a smart keyboard for the iPad mini? No, because it never mm-hmm. had a smart connector. Okay. Right? I think but, they're going to make it. And they're gonna, I feel like they're going to sell this iPad mini as a great way for iPad users to get work done in a sort of extremely, extremely mobile scenario, right? Uh, you're an iPad Pro user, now you can take, take this thing with you on the go. And you still have USB-C uh, and a Magic Keyboard for it. Um, it's basically like a small iPad Air. Mm-hmm. If you consider USB-C, Smart Connector, and Touch ID in the power button, which I struggled, like, again, Touch ID and some other um, uh, display rumors, I struggle to believe, but I feel like A15 USB-C and Smart Connector is a pretty safe bet at this point. I feel like if they're going to go with the larger screen, which we'll get to in a minute, they have to go with Touch ID because there won't be a home button anymore. Yeah. So Touch ID in the power button seems logical. Mm. 
Digitimes suggested that this iPad Mini would also feature a mini LED display, like the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Then display analyst Ross Young stated that while this display would be 8.3 inches because of the bezel shrinkage, it will not feature mini LED this time around. Mm. My personal kind of like uh, barometer would say it would not have mini LED. I, I can't imagine how that could be possible, feasible, or within the yeah. price range right now. Yeah, yeah. unless like we joked on iMessage, like, is this a, an iPad Pro mini? <laughs> but like, could they, I just can't imagine a world where they put it in the mini before the other 11-inch Pro. Exactly, exactly. Right? So the 11-inch iPad Pro doesn't have mini LED, if they were adding mini LED to a smaller iPad, I think it should be the 11 inch first, not the iPad mini first. So I will agree with you and say no mini LED on this iPad mini. But I would be super happy with this device, right? 8.3 inches, uh, A15 processor, USB-C, smart connector, touch ID in, in that little form factor. This is the dream. That, <laughs> this sounds, is, that sounds choice, man. It is I for me it. like... Like over the past couple of years, uh, I've talked about it on app stories. I've written about it on the club. I've been searching for the perfect device to get my reading done. And I went from an iPad Pro to an iPad mini to a Kindle to a Kobo. I feel like this iPad mini, uh, just because I keep going back to the iPad eventually, I like my Safari reading list. I like my shortcuts. I like the apps that I have, like Shonen Jump, for example, to read my manga. I keep going back to the iPad and I feel like this iPad mini right here could be the dream device for me. Like it's got the new design, doesn't have the bezels anymore, mm -hmm. doesn't have the, the home button anymore, slightly bigger display, but still much smaller than my usual iPad. Yeah, just I will literally throw money at the screen for this device. I need it. I need it in my life. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Hello. Hello make incredibly comfortable buckwheat pillows. These are very different to a regular fluffy pillow. They don't, it doesn't collapse under your head and neck like with the weight of your head like a traditional pillow would. Like the fluffy pillows, they just like smoosh down, right? But buckwheat pillows, they stay supportive for you. And they also stay cool compared to other pillows. Buckwheat breathes better, so air flows through it more easily. I kind of, like, if I tried to explain it, like, the buckwheat, it's, they're more like individual, like, little, kind of like beans in a beanbag kind of thing. So, instead of it being, like, this squishy, soft mass, they can only contract so much. So, one, you get that support, but also, because it's kind of like, it's, it moves more, and it's like a solid element, air can flow through and in between. Because, like, I find this, like, it's been hot here uh, in London, but I never feel like I'm... Like my my head is hot and like or humid from the pillow, like I've I would have found in the past. I don't have to do that thing where you flip the pillow over to the cool side because the pillow is always cool. Plus, because it's a filling that it's adjustable, so you can take out or add the uh, the buckwheat filling to suit your needs. So your pillow can be just the size that you're looking for. Uh, I have been sleeping on a hollow pillow every night for over two years, three years probably at this point. I absolutely adore my hollow pillow. And that's like another thing. Like I feel like I'd have to change my pillows out more frequently and I don't feel like that with my with my hollow because it maintains that size and that shape and structure. 
Hollow pillows are made in the US with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US. I really think you should try one of these out. It's a totally different experience and it's so much more comfortable. Sleep on it for 60 nights and if it isn't right for you, just send it back for a refund. Go to hollowpillow.com slash connected and get your very own buckwheat pillow. That's H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W.com slash connected. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off depending on the size you opt for. Hollow have fast free shipping of every order and 1% of all of their profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. So give it a try if you love it you keep it if you don't just send it back just go to hollowpillow.com slash connected right now a thanks to hello for their support of this show and relay fm <sighs> we have to talk eh. about it right all right look all right mm. now look i know look i get you listener can passionate one i get you you're like can i listen to them complain about safari again can i go through this again but look here's the thing what else are we gonna do passionate ones Right, a new beta of iOS is out. They've made even more changes to Safari. Do you think we're just we're just gonna stop talking about it now? No. Here we are. We're back in it. We're back in it again. Federico, what is happening with Summer Safari? Summer of now? fun. <laughs> yeah. No, wait. <laughs> Wrong show. Summer of pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So beta four came out yesterday. Uh, public beta four came out just a few minutes ago, I believe. Um, okay, Safari. Uh, changes both on iPad and uh, iPhone. Mm-hmm. Let's start from the iPad. So as uh, we knew before, uh, the setting that we saw in Monterey Beta 3 is now available on iPad. So if you go to Settings Safari, you can now choose between the regular tap bar design or the compact tap bar design. So the compact one is the new design with the unified tab and address bar. And the other one is the, uh, the, the one where the address bar and the tabs are separate. However, this does not mean that you get the old Safari design from iPadOS 14. You get a hybrid version where you have the address bar at the top, tabs in the middle, and your bookmarks, your favorites, at the very bottom of the toolbar. And tabs, they still do not look like old tabs. They look like the tappable, I don't know how to call them, cells. Uh, they're not buttons. They're not tabs. They look like a, like someone poke a hole in the toolbar and st- stuck a, a, a web page title in there. Um, so yeah, it's a separate top bar and address bar design, but with the new look of iPadOS 15. Now... Um, Obviously, I uh, oh, and I should say the old, the separate design is the default one. So, like on the Mac, the new compact style UI is not the default anymore. But you, if you want to, you can choose it as an option in settings. This makes me mad and sad. Okay, why? <laughs> You'd spend all this time, yeah. right? Yeah, designing something different. And putting in all the work and showing it off and like making it like, hey, this is this thing that we want to do and we have all these good reasons that we want to do it. And then you put it out there and people don't like it. And yeah, so you, so you then create a second mode, which is not the old one. It's no. now an adapted version. But then you ship both of them. Yeah. 
and default to the one that you didn't think was the good idea. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. why are you shipping them both, right? Like yeah. I think my I think my main thing, like I will say for me with Safari, with all the Safari changes, I do not hate them as much as everybody else. I don't think that they're good, right? Again, and I will preface all this to say I've only used this on an iPad, right? I know that a lot of the IR is actually focused on the iPhone, and I can see that. But from my experience on the iPad, I found it to be Okay. Like, even with the new version, like what they've put in beta 4, I think it's like way uglier than the version it's replacing. Like, the tiny little thin tabs now because they've put the address bar back, I really, I don't like it. Like, the really thin, long tabs as well, if you only have a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think visually, for me, the the compact version looks better, but I also then don't like that I have to tap each tab to try and get to the URL, right? Like, it's just not great. Yeah. But the thing that, like, annoys me about this is, like, this whole situation that they're not committing to anything. Yeah. All they're okay. doing is just, like, adding or, like, making these little weird changes, and we've got way more of these to talk about. And I yeah. kind of just wished they would choose a path and just either stick to it or completely, re- or like, you know, like force it through. I don't think, I just, I, I feel like this weird, like spread out approach, it's just not really helping anyone. I think okay. I saw you retweet someone who said this of just like, don't ship this in point oh. Yeah. 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 Okay. But yeah. Okay. So uh, let, let's um, uh, unpeel the layers of this big Safari uh, onion yep. that we have. Okay. So, first of all, I see a bunch of people on Twitter um, try, and this usually happens uh, in certain circles, oh, but think of the Safari engineers, uh, how, what they must be living through. Like, okay, so, first of all, like, nobody died, this is fine, we're just critiquing a browser, right? We're not going to war, I understand that there's frustration, there's people working on it, but look, it's a browser, it's not a tragedy, we're just talking about it. Right? I mean, I so, do feel bad for these I people, right? I feel bad, right? like, I mean, there's worse things in the world, right? Yes. It's, I mean, it's a browser toolbar, right? So, but hey, we're critiquing the browser. This is what we do. Okay, so nobody hates no one, right? Uh, I see tweets, oh, the Safari team should get fired. No, no because that's, that's, those are really... That doesn't make any sense. Safari yeah, is one of the best apps for iPhone and iPad. Nobody should get fired. And this is the second layer. Redesigns. Sometimes they don't scale, right? You think you have a really good idea, and this is a byproduct of how Apple operates, right? They design new features in secret, and they do these big reveals, right? Um, And sometimes, most of the times, it goes well. Sometimes it doesn't. And as uh, we talked about this last week, web browsers are one of those features where you have decades of established um, UI conventions. And especially on iPhone, you have over a decade of muscle memory to account for. And so it's really tricky to get a redesign right. When you don't get a redesign right, um, you should get feedback. And that's what Apple is doing. So they're moving in the right direction in terms of how to deal with people. They're listening, they're opening, they have a public beta, and they're opening the Mac beta to Big Sur and Catalina users. That's the right approach. Now, I feel like with at this point, it's pretty clear. So 
whether you agree with the people who criticize Safari or not, I think it's pretty clear that it's a very polarizing design, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like if I were Apple and I was looking at this, I would say, okay, maybe I think it's a disaster. Maybe I love it. Whatever my preference is, it's obvious at this point that it causes a lot of reactions and it causes a lot of discussion. Maybe it needs more time in the oven, so to speak, uh, before it's ready for the public. This is what I think it's going on at the moment, where you have this... You know, Apple is a big company, and, you know, over the years we've gotten to know some of the people that work at Apple, right? And you know how sometimes, I think it's only natural, between different teams you have different kinds of tensions, right? Uh, So maybe design is pushing in one direction, maybe Safari uh, is pushing in a slightly different direction, and they're trying to balance it all for the sake of the customer, obviously. And so I feel like right now we are in this weird limbo where they're still trying to explore whether the original idea can be tweaked enough to make it work uh, because they believe in the core idea behind it, which is, and I'm uh, referring to the compact design in general, what if we reduced UI Chrome in a browser uh, and made everything more compact. They believe in the core principle of that idea. I do too. I think that, like, okay. in theory, good idea. Yeah, right? in theory, good idea. Mm-hmm. What I think we're seeing in practice is that on a device like the iPad, where people want to be productive, they want to be efficient, they want to manage a lot of tabs, right? Uh, you know, maybe they, they have a different set of priorities from what they want in a browser, right? They want to have more UI. They want to have they want to see everything clearly. They don't want tabs to jump around. They want to have a sort of spatial recognition of their browser environment. They want to make sure that everything is in the right place. And right now, even if you disable the compact design and go back to the separate address bar and top bar, I feel like there's still too many trade-offs. Um, with this new design. Uh, first of all, the legibility of the tabs really isn't there. You go back and you look at Safari in iPadOS 14 with the uh, sort of classic tab design. Everything is just more clear to read and to look at and it fee- it, it looks more cohesive with the rest of the browser. And another big issue of this new design is that Again, even if you disable compact mode, it's still impossible to tell, or nearly impossible to tell, which one is the active tab. It's too low contrast. It, it's very confusing. You can hide the active tab if you scroll it away off screen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look good. I don't think it looks good. Um, and I feel like yeah, the, the non-compact one is slightly better than compact for me, but I still look at Safari 14 and I'd be like, you know, that looks really good. And now there's a second, again, this is like an onion. There's, a set, there's another layer to this, which is, am I the problem? Sort of like the Simpsons meme, right? Mm-hmm. Um, am I the problem? No, it's the kids who are wrong. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've thought about this, I've thought this about myself, right? Am I the problem? 
Am I too, you know, am I old and against trying new designs and new ideas? And, and I've, I've had this accusation uh, moved against me on Twitter by a bunch of people who don't follow me. And it's a fair question, I think. Um, and I think about it and I'm like, well, I look at myself and the kind of person I am. I mean, I try new things <laughs> every day. I'm very open to changing my workflow. Um, in fact, people make fun of it sometimes. Like, oh, you're constantly changing apps and changing how you work. So I feel like I'm not the kind of person who is against change, but I've used these things long enough that I think I have a pretty good pulse on when something works and when something doesn't. Now, I'm not Johnny Ive, you know, you may disagree with me, it's fine. Um, I mean, not even Johnny Ive is Johnny Ive anymore. It doesn't work at Apple, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I don't know. I look at it. I don't think this is going to work. And... I have, re I have the new standard design on iPad. I still think it doesn't look nearly as good as the old Safari. And as I said before, there are many things in the new Safari that I would keep. The customizable start page. It's great. Tab groups. Tab groups I love them. So good. Love tab, tab groups. Super, the so sidebar great. on iPad. Very good. Love it. Yeah, super good. The new look for search results. When you, when you search for something in the mm -hmm. address bar. Very nice. Keep it. It's just those features, leave them in. They're really good. You don't have to use the new UI for them. Like You can keep the sidebar. Just go back to a regular toolbar, regular tabs. Offer a compact mode if you really want to. For like That to me feels like, to go back to your point, why do you have a setting, right? Um, I feel like that's, I don't know, I may be wrong, feels like the pet project of someone that really, really wanted to get rid of the extra, you know, 40 pixels on screen and be like, we don't need tabs and an and address bar anymore. Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about buttons. I don't know. I feel like that's the kind of feature that is wanted by someone high enough to warrant, you know, leaving a setting in. Now, uh, if that theory is correct, is that a good way to design software? Probably not. I don't know. We'll never know the truth. So it's fine. Um, let's move to the iPhone. Mm -hmm. On the iPhone, you can see what happens when a company enters uh, what I call panic mode for a redesign that is not working. The result is that they're keeping, so on iPhone, they're keeping the compact UI in Safari. They're not offering a setting to revert to the old uh, sort of uh, two toolbar approach. What they're doing is they're stuffing the tab bar full of icons <laughs> and full of buttons. So as of iOS 15 beta 4, in the tab bar on the iPhone, you will get navigation buttons a reload button, a Safari reader button, a share button. And then, of course, there's the existing tabs button. And uh, I shared a screenshot on Twitter and John Gruber um, sort of expanded upon my screenshot. There's a total of, I believe, nine different touch targets in that small top bar at the bottom of the screen on iPhone. You look at it, you look at the... Uh, everything feels like it's all over the place, right? It feels like someone 
took a bunch of buttons from a drawer and just spilled them all over the top bar on the iPhone. Like, it here, you want to have buttons? Ridiculous. Have some buttons. It's right? ridiculous. It's the smallest reload button anyone's <laughs> ever seen. Like, it's not even a button. It's like reload is like a character of text. That's next to like it's it's like if you just said, Oh, do you want to reload this page? Just tap the letter A in the text and then it will reload for you. And and then the thing that annoys me most is sometimes it seems like again you can tell me I, I have not used this, I've just seen your videos, that sometimes the reload buttons replaced with other buttons. Like it's yes. like different buttons in the same place. And if yes. you got a reader view, it actually becomes yep. a reader button. So how do you reload a page that has a reader button? Well, it flashes for a second, right? Uh, so when you when you're opening an article, the reader symbol flashes on screen for a couple of seconds and then is replaced again by the reload button, right? So it just tells, and this has been going on for a while in Safari, but just now it's, it gets very confusing because you have the only place where UI is happening is this small bar at the bottom, and it feels like everything is going on all at once in that small top bar right there. Um, amusingly enough, the tab, uh, the reload button and the Safari reader button. And I believe the navigation buttons as well, uh, they break Apple's own uh, human interface guidelines for minimum acceptable size of a touch target on iOS, which should be 44 points. And I believe some of these buttons are like 25 or 26 or something. So um, I look at this top bar and I see... Uh, you know, um, this is uh, choosing to die on a very specific hill, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, no, we need to have a top bar at the bottom. And, and you can imagine, like, there's PR and there's, you know, people from PR talking to, to you know, to, to folks like us, monitoring feedback on Twitter, uh, monitoring Reddit and articles, and going back to these meetings and be like, okay, so uh, folks have been complaining about the fact that there's no share button, there's no reload button. And because you chose to, you know, uh, to insist on this design, you're like, okay, so people miss buttons? Well, we're going to keep this design because we really believe in this design, but we're giving them buttons. And the result is the equivalent of the Homer car from The Simpsons. We're like, this is trying to do all at once is the Swiss army knife of toolbars on iOS at the moment, where uh, you want navigation, you have arrows. Uh, you want to you have a reload, a reload button, it's in there, but it's small. Uh, you want, oh, Safari Reader, it's also in there, but it's small and it flashes. What about share? Sure, there's a share button. Well, what about, um, I don't know, opening tabs? Hey, there's a tab button too. Okay, but I want to open the URL. Uh, if you know where to tap, you can actually open the address bar. Cool, great. Uh, what about swiping between tabs? Oh, we love swiping between tabs. In fact, the tabs that you see on the left and right, those are also buttons. Okay, so I can tap those. Well, yes, you can tap them, but you can also swipe across them. Oh, wow, fantastic. And what about the bottom of the screen? Well, at the bottom of the screen, there's the home indicator. But if you swipe just above the home indicator, you can also swipe the tab bar up and you can see the tab view. Fantastic. What about some other menus that I missed from before? Well, uh, you can long press the tab bar and you get a bunch of things. Oh yeah, well, you can press the navigation buttons and you get history, or you can press the center of the tab bar 
and you get a bunch of options. Uh, or you can press tabs and you get another context menu. How many features did I just describe? Uh, 20 something? <laughs> this is a UI element that is overloaded with function. This is not even function over form. This is function exploding over form. It's like this is so stuffed with commands and different options. I honestly have no idea how a normal person <laughs> will understand this. I, I, I don't know where to begin. So, once again, to go back to the original, to the first layer of the onion. Nobody hates, no one here. It's just a browser, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, we don't hate Safari engineers. We love Safari engineers. We love Safari. But we have this problem to uh, deal with right now, which is this is the browser that millions, billions of people use every day. 0.2% uh, of those people listens to a tech podcast, right? Uh, they don't know what is going on. They have no idea what is going on. So let's look at ourselves right now, we bloggers and YouTubers and tech podcasters as uh, sacrificing ourselves for the greater good of other people in September, right? This Safari doesn't work on the iPhone. Um, I understand if you believe that it's convenient to put everything in a single UI element at the bottom of the screen, but I think it's obvious enough that we have reached the point where you're trying to stuff too much functionality and UI into a single place to the point where you, Apple as a company, are contradicting yourself and your own human interface guidelines. So, once again, maybe there's something to this idea of a bottom UI. Maybe not, but maybe there is. So, here's my proposal. Actually, I have two proposals. The first one, which is trying to find the middle ground. Let's revert to the old design and offer compact mode without some of these additional buttons from Beta 4 as an optional setting. So basically do what you did on the iPad, re but return to the top toolbar and the bottom toolbar. And it's fine. I will say, right, if they just ship iPad Safari like this, we'll get used to it and we'll live with it. I feel like... It's like, not great, but yeah. It's not perfect, but... I just wonder, like, why is it necessary to, for, for it to look that... like? Let's just imagine for some reason me and you don't understand it is, right? Like, okay. It's like, whatever. Sure, okay. All right. Know? Cool. Okay. Yeah. So that's my first proposal, right? Um, go back to the uh, separate approach and offer compact with fewer buttons because right now all those icons down there, no, mm -hmm. don't do that. But offer that as an option. Second proposal. Sometimes redesigns they don't go well, and it's fine. Put this on the shelf for now. Go back to the uh, original Safari design. Keep the features that can coexist with Safari, uh, the start page, uh, tab groups, if possible, you know, the new search results. If you can, keep those. Save this design for 15.1 or 15.5 or 16 next year, and you can try this again at some other point 
that's my um my my, my modest proposal for uh, because right now like obviously like the 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 conversation on twitter is all over the place um i showed this again to sylvia like i'm i have sylvia as my test person for safari i was like hey um they did a bit of an upgrade on the iphone since you, you last saw it in beta one want to look again <laughs> and she looked at it, it's like oh it's still at the bottom huh <laughs> it's like yeah uh yeah i don't like it <laughs> so um i don't know it's also fascinating uh one last thing that i wanted to mention did you see that blog post from a uh, former uh, current i don't know uh google engineer who worked on yeah. a similar design for Chrome mm -hmm. for iPhone years ago. Mm -hmm. And eventually the feedback was so, once again, polarizing that they decided it was too confusing for people mm -hmm. to have that kind of design on iPhone for Google Chrome. And they moved away from it. Now, if you ask me, those screenshots from that Chrome UI that actually looks better than Safari, in my opinion. Uh, because in all this, is like also the question of why does that top bar on iPhone have to be a floating one? Why are you getting it in the way of web page? Like, it's a whole thing. I, I think I said this to you privately, but I was in this beta for Chrome back when I was using Chrome. Yes where they brought the all of the UI down to the bottom, so the address bar, the tab bar. And in, in uh, Chris's article, there seems to be some more radical stuff that I didn't see. I loved having it on the bottom. I felt like it made sense. Like I love the idea of having a bottom toolbar, but it doesn't have to be the floating one mm -hmm. with less functionality. No. You there know? are bottom toolbars on iOS in mm -hmm. a bunch of places. Maps, shortcuts as a as a thing that expands from the bottom. Um, and look, it's even it's a complicated conversation because I could have accepted or maybe understood a bit more if this Safari was coming from a place of, oh look, we have this new UI convention in iOS 15 this year. Safari is using it, but if you developer want to use it too, you can. It's a new native UI element. But no, this design is specific to Safari and Safari only. And so there's that. And what we're seeing right now, this sort of backtracking on iPad and sort of semi-backtracking on iPhone where they're keeping the thing but they're stuffing it full of buttons that people complain. Like, I feel like in previous weeks on our podcast and in blog post, we were not complaining about missing buttons because we meant put them in the toolbar at the bottom. We were just saying the new design sacrifices buttons that were previously top-level icons. And I feel like our feedback has been uh, misunderstood <laughs> where the feedback of, oh, we're missing buttons became, oh, so what I hear you're saying is you want more buttons in that top bar at the bottom. But no, that that, that is not the solution to stuff that toolbar full of icons, right? So, yeah, it's 
once again, I just want to say, mm-hmm. I don't hate Safari. I don't hate nobody. I, I hate no one. Honestly, I have no patience for negative feelings. I said this before. I'm going to repeat it again. But we're looking at a product that has a controversial design. And I feel like it could use a ton of work. And I don't think it's going to be ready in uh, five weeks. Potentially four, because Apple needs to flash the firmware on the new iPhones uh, soon enough. So that also explains the panic mode, right? Uh, we, we think of iOS as being finalized on September 10. No, it has to be finalized, uh, I want to say, early August, middle of August, right? And you can imagine how this causes a lot of problems because you got to send the firmware to China to make, you know, to have it flashed on new iPhones. So you got to get moving quickly. Uh, let us, I would say, let's pause the project for now, go back to the original design and we'll reconsider again next year. All right. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Bombus. Lots of things can make your workouts hard, from extra resistance to doubling your speed to just achieving that one more mile. But your socks shouldn't, right? Why should they? Socks shouldn't make things harder. That's why Bombus Performance Socks are built to be nothing but comfortable and supportive. Bombus Performance Socks have taken all of the amazing innovations that make Bombus the most comfortable socks you've ever worn, and they've added their special Hextech performance technology. I know what you're thinking. Why do my socks, like what are they going to do for me? While I'm working out, why do they need Hextech performance technology? Well, get this. They are stitched with special moisture wicking yarn and temperature regulating vents that allow cool air to flow in and prevent overheating. They also come with a pillow-like tab to save you from blisters, stay-up technology to stop a super annoying sock slippage, a special arch-hugging system, and an extra layer of cushiony comfort on the bottom for the perfect amount of support. This is pretty much the dream workout sock. They come in different styles for every kind of sport with specific design features to help you optimize your performance and keep you comfortable no matter what you're doing. And don't forget, like all of their socks, for every pair of Bombas Performance socks that you buy, they donate a pair to someone in need. They've actually donated over 45 million pairs so far, so you can feel good while working out and feel great knowing that you're supporting someone in need. I love my Bombas socks, and I especially love them for when I'm working out. The two things that I love the most, obviously, I love the moisture wicking yarn. I don't want to have sweaty feet, right, as I'm working out. Who wants to have sweaty feet? I don't want to have sweaty feet. And when I wear my Bombas socks, I don't have to. The other thing that I love so much is the uh, stay-up technology. It seems like something that socks should do, but they don't always. Like, I've had socks, like workout socks before, where, like, you know, maybe you're on a bike or on a treadmill or something, and they start to slip down. This doesn't happen with my bumper socks. They stay up the whole time, which is also good because it prevents, like, rub from my uh, workout trainers and stuff. So I hate that. Uh, and I never had that with Bombas, and they're super great, and I love them. So go to bombas.com slash connected today, and you'll get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash connected for 20% off. One last time, bombas.com slash connected. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So I know that we were just, like, super negative, right, for a bit. Mm. You know, like, we have some complaints. Mm. So uh, Federico came up with a great idea today to yeah. end the show talking about we're going to talk about three things each that we really love right now just all positive all good stuff uh, so yes. we're going to round robin between two people which isn't 
just taking turns really. So it's a small <laughs> Robin, it's tiny it's a, Robin, uh, tiny Robin, two Robins back and forth. That's me and you. Do you want to start? Yes. So, uh, and for context, these are three things that may or may not be tech related. Uh, can be products, apps, uh, whatever. Just three things I love. Uh, so the first one, I have a new portable music player. Uh, so uh, this, I guess, it would be called a DAP, which is different from a DAC. So this is a portable player. It's called the Astol and Kern Can Alpha. So the Can Alpha is the name of the model that I have. Uh, think of this, Mike. Uh, you're familiar with the portable Walkman that I had before. That it I looks purchased. a lot uh, like it. And all of these portable players, they, they sort of have that style. Mm-hmm. This is a chunkier, uh, heavier, warmer, because it gets quite a bit warm, mm. uh, portable music player made by a company called Astol & Kern. They make really good uh, audio equipment. Um, and this is a bit of an upgrade for me. Uh, for uh, And I got it for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, Astol & Kern, one of the premium brands in this space, this is their first model with a 4.4 millimeter balanced output. So they have a 4.4 millimeter uh, jack that uh, you can use on this thing. And I've increasingly switched all of my headphones to use 4.4 uh, balanced cables. Um, so that was already interesting for me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I- I'm trying to keep it all consistent in terms of the cables that I have and the uh, sort of uh, uh, sockets that I use and all that kind of stuff. Now, I was looking for, I was also looking to upgrade the kind of experience that, that I get from these portable music players. And um, this one gives me a lot more features than my Sony player. Uh, which for context was the WM1A. Uh, that was my, and I still have it, um, uh, the other Sony Walkman that I have. So the Can Alpha has Bluetooth 5, Wi-Fi support, an LED indicator uh, that shows you mu- music quality. So it turns green, blue, or purple, depending on the kind of uh, uh, music file that you're listening to. It's got native DSD playback. You don't need to worry about that. But most importantly, it runs Android. And it's a Rune certified player. We're going to talk about Rune later. Uh, I just want to mention Android. So, this thing, uh, you can install a selection of Android apps on it. Um, it's a very it's it's a quite complex process where you need to install Android file transfer on a computer, and you need to drag uh, APK files uh, that you download from directories like what's it called APK Pure and uh, there's another one uh, what's the name APK Mirror that's the one that I used. Uh, these are websites that let you download. Um, in theory, verified APK versions of Android applications. Um, and you can install a selection of apps, right? You cannot install, say, Twitter or, I don't know, uh, Gmail on this thing. You can only install um, compatible music apps. You can install Tidal, you can install Cobuse, and you can install Apple Music. So that right there was one of the features that... Um, Picked my interest. So, I've mentioned this before, how with the launch of the lossless tier in Apple Music, I would be able to unify 
my uh, music streaming habits into a single music streaming service. Uh, I want to listen to Apple Music with my AirPods or via my iPhone speakers when I just want to put some music on in the background and I don't care about music quality. I just want to have some music going on. But now I can also use Apple Music with my good headphones, with my DAC, when I want to sit down and just enjoy music. And I, that, is, that for me is sort of like a secondary use of Apple Music that lets me evaluate, if you will, albums before I go out and purchase, purchase them to add them to my collection. Well, the Can Alpha, it lets me unify everything about my music setup. I can listen to Apple Music on this thing. I can listen to my local library because it's got an SD card slot. And I can also stream my music collection from the Intel NUC that we mentioned last week mm. via Rune. And Mike, I absolutely love this thing. So, um, using Rune on this device is quite incredible. So, the way that Rune certified devices work is... So you run Rune server on a server in your house. In my case, it's an Intel NUC. You can run it on a Mac. You can run it on another PC. Uh, you can run it on a NAS. You can, there's a bunch of ways that you can run uh, Rune server. Then on the iPhone, I can control, I, I can browse my library. But with Rune-ready devices, like the Can Alpha, because it's got Wi-Fi, you see it in Rune in the list of compatible output devices. And what I can do is I can control Rune on the Can Alpha from the iPhone. So I can select songs on the iPhone. I can change the volume level of my Can Alpha player from the iPhone. Why would you want to do that though? Because it's got a bigger screen and it's an iPhone and it's like, right. you, you know, this thing has a small display. So you would like say, I don't know, you got your headphones on, it's plugged yeah. into this thing and yes. you would do this because it has like the, a balanced output, if people don't know what it means, it basically just means it can support really great headphones yes. and it sounds super good, et cetera, et cetera. Like we don't have to go into the particulars, but um but then you see you just have it like plugged in and sitting on the table or whatever. You just use your iPhone to choose the music. Yes. All right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. And I just use the iPhone. And if I want to text some, like I'm using the iPhone, but I'm also listening to music and, mm -hmm. you know, having a really good time with it. So controlling Rune, like it's incredible because when you think about it, you have this server on a little computer mm -hmm. that is sending lossless music over Wi-Fi to a portable music player, but I'm controlling all of this from my iPhone. On a third device. On a third device. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fantastic. And we're going to talk about Rune later. Um, and yeah, uh, I've also used uh, Apple Music for Android. And it's nice because... Um, uh, so <laughs> this is a bit of an adventure. I actually want to mention this. So Apple Music for Android uh, added lossless and high-resolution lossless and spatial audio support with version 3.6 of the Android app, which came out last week. Now, this has been in beta for a while. So when I got the Can Alpha player last month and I started looking around on, on Google, I ran across this uh, thread on the HeadFi forums where someone 
um, was frustrated by the inability to install the Apple Music beta on the Can Alpha player they had. So what this person did, uh, because it, you gotta install these files in a specific format, and that version of the Apple Music beta was not available in that file format. So what this person did is they took the beta build and they manually recompiled it to include high-resolution uh, lossless support. Um, and they posted a link to download that app from their iCloud Drive account. Now, this sounds incredibly sketchy, right? <laughs> You're downloading an Android app that someone compiled and posted on a forum, right? But I really wanted to test lossless playback. So I thought about it. I was like, boy, am I, am, am I seriously considering downloading an app that some, some rando from a forum compiled and hosted on an iCloud.com link and I got to put in my Apple Music credentials to, to access this service? I got to be careful, right? So what I did is... It was late at night. It was like 2 a.m. Silvia was sleeping. I downloaded the app that the random person from the forums made. I <laughs> uh, inspected the packages. I downloaded the official build from Apple. And I diffed the two apps side by side using Kaleidoscope on my Mac. Wow. Just to make sure that this person did not add in any weird code for like stealing your password or whatever, you know? And sure enough, the only code that I saw was different was the, uh, the flags to enable lossless playback. So, you know, I just uh, you know, took a, uh, an extra precaution to make sure that nobody was stealing my passwords. Um, but now, of course, Apple has released the official version. I have it running on the Can Alpha. It's fine, right? Uh, animations are not as smooth as on iPhone, uh, you get the weird Android font, but it works. And I can listen to lossless playback on the Can Alpha, which, to sum up, it's a little device that is quite chunky. It's a chunky boy. I love it. If you enable the high output setting, it can drive even the most, well, not the most, it can drive medium difficult headphones uh, with a slightly higher impedance than others. Uh, it can get quite loud, it can get quite warm. But I really love this thing, and uh, I wanted to mention it because if you're looking for this kind of portable music player, check this out. You can, you can listen to all kinds of music with it. So we're going to go from your weird hobby yes. to my weird hobby. Yes, I was hoping this would be the case. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the Stellar 65, which is a uh, keyboard kit made by okay. a company called Space Holdings. Okay, let me see. Okay. This is oh, a, nice. uh, uh, I say a kit because you receive this and it is unbuilt. It is what Ooh. is known as a uh, stacked acrylic keyboard. So if you take a look at the images, uh, you'll see it, but otherwise I can explain to you. Um, it's basically a, a oh. right? There's, okay. there's eight layers of cut acrylic so acrylic plastic that you sandwich on top of each other to make oh. the whole case itself um and so every part has got its cutouts and you you know you lay them on top of each other and then you will put in the pcb which is the circuit board 
and then you put the other two on top, right? And then that makes the whole keyboard case and you end up with this kind of sandwich. Uh, I, I recommend people go and take a look in the show notes at the link because they got a bunch of images. It will make complete sense once you've seen it. Um, but maybe for me to explain, it could be tricky. Is this uh, to, so this sandwich approach, is it to increase like customization to make it easier to change stuff in the future? Uh, like why not make no. it like a single piece? Um, it's in incredibly cost-effective to do it this way. Ah, so if you okay. were making a single piece, you have to basically either injection mold it, which is incredibly expensive to set up right. the tooling on, or you'd have to take a block of something and mill it out. Right, right. This keyboard is made by a relatively small company using machines that they can own. Uh -huh. um, okay. So they just, uh, they have like, a, you know, a laser that can cut acrylic and they just need to cut eight of them for each keyboard, right? Uh, okay. including uh, there's some feet, which are also cut from acrylic too. Um, and stacked acrylic keyboards, which is what this is known as, this kind of style, they have a pretty nice sound to them. They're just known to sound pretty good. You know, a lot of the keyboard, like hobby stuff, it's, it's design, sound, and feel, like how it feels to type on. Like, is it, uh, does it they feel like there's a lot of resistance? Is it stiff or is it a little bit more flexible? That kind of thing. So they're the kind of the three things. And I think, like for me, uh, these stacked acrylic cases in general, they kind of tick all the boxes. They look great, they sound great, and they feel really nice to type on. Mm. So um, uh, this, this is a kit in the sense of you have to not only build this keyboard, you are also doing the soldering of the switches into the, the circuit board. Uh, there are two different ways to build keyboards. You have that. You also have something called hot swap, which just means you just put the switches in. You just push them in and it works. Um, but this one, you have to like get a soldering iron and solder, and you are soldering every switch into the board, right? So it's, it is that next mm -hmm. level up. Um, but I will say like, it is not difficult to do. Like it's it's scarier than it is difficult, right? Like just doing mm -hmm. it for the first time is tricky. Uh, one of the things that makes uh, stacked acrylic, just like acrylic keyboards, cool and nice to look at in general is uh, if you have an RGB enabled PCB, right? Like a circuit board, uh, the RGB light is diffused really nicely in this type of frosted wow. acrylic. So nice. I included a, a, an Instagram post that I made of my built one uh, and you can see like the RGB basically flows through the entire keyboard rather than just coming up through the keys as you might be more uh, typically aware of the, like a board's made of aluminium or something. Oh, that's right? cool. So it looks really nice. Um, so I, I've had this keyboard for a while. I built it and I was using it uh, with some silent switches, which means it could sit on my desk with me here and I could type on it and you wouldn't hear it, but it still feels really nice. It's just they quiet. They really are silent? Well, I can tell you right now, okay? So I'm, I have another keyboard. I'm currently typing on a keyboard right now. I'm just typing all the keys what? and you can't hear it. Uh, but if I had another oh, wow. one of my keyboards, you would. And the way it's done is they put these tiny little pieces of silicone into the switches. It's quite complicated, but it's still f there's still a feeling. It feels like maybe 70, 80% of what a non-silent version of the switch would feel like because I have the non-silent version of this exact switch I'm using. Uh, but it doesn't make sound, which is obviously important to me because I can't be sitting and clicking away all the time. Um, and one of the, th I just, uh, I built this keyboard before like that and I wanted to change it up because I got these switches. So switches are what sits between the keycap and the keyboard, right? It's the thing mm -hmm. that you press down on. I got yep. some switches that were glow in the dark. They were made out of glow in the dark material. 
And the thought that I have, which would be pretty cool with this board, is the RGB, like the LEDs, would charge the glow-in-the-dark material. And what's cool about this board is when you look at it from the side, you can see inside it. So it's not frosted. So hmm. like the, the acrylic is clear on the edges. So when I turn off the RGB on this keyboard now, all of the switches glow because <laughs> nice. it's glow in the dark. So uh, this was like a fun little thing for me. And, it, and the reason I went to bring this up specifically is like this little project felt like a good example of the progression that I've had over the last year in this hobby mm -hmm. in the sense of like, I've already built this board. Then I got some new components and I had an idea. So I desorted the keyboard, which, you know, I have this, uh, it's like a reverse soldering iron, right? I have, it's got a desoldering right. gun, which has a soldering iron to heat up the solder and it has a vacuum pump to suck it up. Wow. It's okay. quite an intense piece of intense. Uh, machinery, uh, but it's really fun. Um, and so I desorted the entire keyboard and I rebuilt it again. And then one other thing that I noticed, which also made me feel like I've come far with this, is when I rebuilt it the day or so after, I noticed that one of the keys, sometimes when I pressed it, it would repeat. So like I was tapping the delete key and mm. it would start deleting more than I wanted it to. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I just took the board apart again I and I reflowed the solder and repaired it. And like, and that's the thing that like, I never, I would have been like, you know, maybe even six months ago, like, oh, well, I just want to press that button. <laughs> right? Like that would have just been the way I would have dealt with it. But now I feel like I can diagnose these issues and just go and fix them because I understand how these, these uh, electronic components work together. So, that was my uh, Stellar 65 keyboard kit. If you have ever done soldering or you've tried soldering, I really recommend it. Uh, if you haven't, you know, this is a really fun little project and there are other projects out there where you can like buy cheaper kind of like macro pads and stuff. There's a company that I bought stuff from in the past called Board Source. You can just buy some like cheaper projects with them and practice your soldering on uh, and then you could build something as beautiful as my Stellar 65. Nice. That looks really Really lovely. Yeah, it's very nice. I like it very much. All right, what else have you got? Okay, so uh, moving a few things around here. I want to mention Rune as the second thing I like. So uh, we covered this, uh, I think, last week. Uh, so Rune, R-O-O-N, it's a... Um, it's an app, so it's, it's described as the ultimate music player for music fanatics. And, and I think I get it now, now that I've been using it for a while. So Rune is like Plex, but just for your music, for people who are really into music. Mm -hmm. That's how I would describe it. Now, what makes Rune special, uh, again, like Plex, it runs on a sort of server environment. It can be your PC, Mac, NAS, whatever. Uh, you give it a folder of music files and it analyzes those music files and it builds a library for you. Again, very similar in concept to Plex. There's a couple of things that make it special and also quite expensive as a product to license. Um, first one, it integrates natively with a lot of third-party hardware. So uh, makers of... Um, desktop DACs, portable DACs, portable music players, headphone amps. Uh, so many of them over the past few years have been getting their equipment Rune ready, which, which means it's, it's officially compatible with Rune and those devices, they show up uh, to, 
make it extremely simple, they show up in the list of compatible outputs in Rune. Uh, this is true for my portable music player, and it's true for another for another piece of equipment that I will mention in the post show for Connected Pro members. Get ConnectedPro.co if you want Thank to hear you. more about this. Software. Thank you. Uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, there are Rune certified devices, much like you have AirPlay certified devices, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they integrate natively with this technology. The second thing that is that speaks extremely close to my heart is um, amazing support for music metadata. So you give Rune a folder of albums of your music collection, and it fills in all the missing pieces for you. Uh, are you familiar, Mike, with the iPhone app called Music Smart? Is this the one that fills in all of the like composer data and stuff? Yeah, it's the iPhone app that lets you see like who's the composer of a song on Apple Music or the mixing engineer or who played the cello in a specific song. In Rune has this feature taken to the extreme. So Rune fills in all kinds of metadata you could possibly want to know about an album or a song or a performer. It shows you uh, the genre, the recording date, the studio, the composer, the mixing engineer, the production engineer. Uh, it shows you each of every performer on a song. And then it creates connections between this, um, this metadata. So it's kind of like it's kind of like Obsidian, but for music, if you think about it. <laughs> so, for example, uh, the other day I was in Rune, and it, uh, a little section popped up. There's a Discover tab where you can go in and see all of these suggestions. And there was like, uh, music produced by Chris Walla. So Chris Walla, former guitar player of Dead Cat for Cutie, also a music producer. So what Rune did here is it noticed Dead Cat for Cutie in my library. And... It noticed also that Chris Walla was a producer for a bunch of other songs in my library. And so it surfaced this very specific recommendation, of course, with a photo of Chris Walla because it fetches all this metadata from the internet. Mm. I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, but then you can get like very specific and accurate because it also learns from you um, suggestions over time. So I'm looking now, uh, for example, Let's see. Um, released this month in twenty in twenty ten, the suburbs by Arcade Fire, or uh, let's see if I can get some more specific recommendations. Um, for example, if I'm scrolling, I uh, there's a featured performer. So Andrew Watt, a performer that played uh, guitar, ukulele, and a bunch of other instruments on Normal F. Rockwell by Lana Del Rey, Plastic Hearts by Miley Cyrus, the 2018 album by Shawn Mendes, and Nine by Blink-182. So Andrew Watt, a performer based in New York City, seems like. Yes, uh, versatile, uh, New York-born, uh, multi-instrumentalist. So, uh, Rune is the kind of product that puts the focus on the music, but not just the music, on the people behind the music, right? Uh, Which is the kind of thing that I've talked about a bunch over the years. 
no music streaming service does this, right? Mm-hmm. Because so few people care about this kind of stuff. But if you think about it, this is also what software is great at, building these kinds of connections, using metadata to find links between, oh yeah, this person actually played the, the, this instrument on different albums. This is the kind of experience that is impossible to have in Apple Music or Spotify or Amazon Music, whatever. You can sort of kind of get there with Music Smart, but it's more full-featured in Rune. And I just love this thing. It's like it, it, it's like it opens so many new ways to look at your music library. And there's another thing that I want to mention, which is another feature that I've always wanted. There's a feature called Recordings. And this one, this feature, it shows you all the possible versions of the same song. So, for example, I in the Recordings section of Champagne Supernova by Oasis, I can see the regular version of Champagne Supernova or the remastered version oh, or cool. the live version at Wembley because I have an album of that. And that is so cool because like, sh- yeah, I am the kind of person who wants to listen to different recordings of the same song, like a demo version or a remaster or a live version, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, the kind of stuff that no music streaming service does, Rune does, and it does really well. So, yeah, I love it. It's expensive, but if you're the kind of person who wants to take your personal music library to the next level, uh, this is cool. So the website is runelabs.com. I'm going to uh, reinforce my love for craft. Mm. You know, all the cool kids these days, they're running uh, arms open towards Obsidian. And I want to talk about why I think craft is perfect for someone who's just like me. Um, I I think the more that I am putting into craft, the more I am learning to love it. Uh, They also make a lot of advancements to the application and to the service. And I appreciate them, even if they're features that I don't want to use because I feel like they do a good job of uh, not disrupting the product. So like they just added this like calendar daily pages kind of mode, but I never see it because it's in its own view. And so unless I press the calendar view, I don't see that part of the application. So that's fine. It's there. It's doing Mm -hmm. its thing. Great for people that want it, but that's not how I use it. Um, I think Craft does as good a job of mixed like dealing with mixed media as any app like this i've ever tried um text images links sketches and these are things like this is exactly what i want i want sometimes singular notes that include all of those things in them um it's really nice and easy to format text uh i like that it has the backlinks features like i can link two notes together if i want to i've done this with a few notes but like i don't want to do it all the time but i like that it's there if i want it um, I love how easy it is to share an entire note as a web link with somebody. So I just find this super useful for like, if I've already done all the work with something and someone wants to see it, or I want to share it with somebody, I could just create a private URL link that I can give to them and they can just look at the note. But then it also has the full on collaboration stuff too, right? Where you can add people in and you can uh, collaborate on a note together. And I assume that this is going to become like, they're going to have like a hybrid between the two of these things for their web version. Like I, That's my expectation, right? It's basically mm-hmm. like, 
more going to be more like Google Docs, I guess. And I'm keen to see how that progresses. Like they're syncing's pretty fast, and if they can mm-hmm. keep improving that, then we could be entering Google Docs level of like uh, functionality, which would be great. Right. I just think that for me, craft is just what I need. It's it's it looks great, it works great, and it's just got the right amount of features without being overcomplicated. Um, and I find the overall experience of using the application to feel really good on all, pl- all platforms. Like it feels native everywhere because it, I think it pretty much is native everywhere. It's by far and away the best Catalyst app that I've ever used. Oh yeah. Big time. It doesn't feel yeah. like one at no. all. Um, I only knew it was a Catalyst app because there was a bug in Catalyst apps on Mac OS, which is nothing that they could do. And it was when I saw this bug, I was like, oh, it's Catalyst. Like, And so that was a big surprise to me. Uh, I adore Craft. I think it's fantastic. Um, and so I thoroughly recommend it. Nice. And obviously my, my final thing is going to be about Obsidian, right? He just mentioned Craft. So I just wanted to mention something about Obsidian. You're, you're a hipster. Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> I am a markdown hipster. Um <laughs> Okay, so this is a, a an Obsidian plugin made by... I want to get the developer's name right. Uh, made by... How do you open profiles on GitHub? Christian... Uh, how ba- do you do that? Christian... Christian Baker-Bach-Hooman. Hooman. I'm sorry. That's Christian. quite a great name. Yeah, I kind of love it. Christian Baker-Bach-Hooman. Quick ad. This is the hot plugin in the Obsidian community at the moment. Mm. Uh, this plugin has it all. Like, what's the the Stefan? <laughs> it's got <laughs> templates. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, no, but seriously, quick ad. So, uh, this plugin it lets you capture text into existing notes. It lets you create new notes starting from a template. Or it lets you execute multiple actions, one after the other, with the macro system. Now, this plugin, it feels like... The, the, the reason I love it is that it feels like it's made by someone who thinks exactly like me. And has exactly my preferences when it comes to dealing with notes and dealing with markdown. So, uh, I... Post, I pasted a screenshot in in the show notes. I don't know if we can use it somewhere uh, to show you the kind of I'll find a way tool. Thank you. Uh, Mike finds a way, just like nature. Um, uh, to show you the kind of setup that I have with QuickAd. So I created a menu in Obsidian. That's one of the things you can do with QuickAd. You can create a, your own custom menu that does a bunch of things. Uh, one of the uh, so the first thing you can do with QuickAd, you can type text into a prompt, and that text you can choose to have it appended to a section of a Markdown document. So uh, say you have a Markdown note, and you have a section of that note, like uh, like an H2 section. In QuickAd, when you're building these um, actions, you can say. Yeah, I want to add this text at the end of this section. So you can see in my notes, for example, um, I have a uh, iOS review dashboard note. There's multiple sections in the note. One is called tweets. And so what I can do quick add is 
I can go in, I tap the thing, and it says iOS 15 tweets. I choose that one, I paste the tweet, and it gets appended not to the very bottom of the document, but to the bottom of the section, mm, which for smart. the kind of weirdo like me who likes to structure notes using headings, this is like you're going to instantly fall in love with this feature. Second thing you can do, uh, you can combine QuickAd with another plugin called uh, Hotkeys for Starred Files to make a button that opens a specific file. So you can see in my menu, there's two buttons called Open Table of Contents and Open Review Ideas. If I tap that button, QuickAd executes a macro and it opens a specific file for me. You can go even deeper with macros and you can chain multiple steps together. This is the case for the last button that you can see in my screenshot called Open Dashboard and Preview. So quick add here, uh, it'll allow me to create a macro that said, open a specific file, wait, uh, uh, like there's a wait action that you can put in the middle. And then the last step is toggle preview mode. So I, I, basically you can chain together multiple steps to create a macro and the macro you can then execute from a button. What's incredible about this is that what I'm showing you right here is a pretty primitive example of what you can do with QuickAd. Other Obsidian users are building incredible things with QuickAd because in addition to what I'm showing you here, you can integrate with templates. So you can create really complex notes from a template. You can run JavaScript in QuickAd, which is not something I've tried because I, you know, I don't have the time for it. But if you want, you can install scripts and run them from QuickAd. In the macro uh, section, you can chain together any command from Obsidian. There is literally a search bar in QuickAd that says, uh, search for a command, and you can chain 10, 15, 20 different commands together. So like a good way to think about QuickAd, it's like, Imagine it like a small version, a very, very, very small version of shortcuts built into Obsidian. Like where like you can create your own enhancements for Obsidian, which is already kind of a you know kind of a powerful tool. QuickAd lets you take it a step beyond. So all this to say, this plugin is free. So go check it out. Say thanks to Christian. And I won't be surprised if this becomes a core built-in plugin in Obsidian in the future. It's really, really good. Does seem nice. Yeah. Uh, last thing, Train Beacon. This is an iOS app for checking train times and checking routes and stuff. Oh, is it UK only? I don't know. Okay. I use this app for one thing. It has a widget. Ooh. So I have set up two widgets in a like the one, you know, like the small widget size. One is for my train that I need to get from home to the studio. And one is for the train from studio to home. And then on my home screen, all the time, I have the upcoming train times from now for the next four or five trains so I can plan my routes. This app has a bunch of other stuff. Like it's got like this big AR. I never open the application. I use it just for this one thing. It's exactly what I wanted and it's perfect. 
It's really great. It tells me just when the next train is. I love it. It's very simple. But if you're like me, mm-hmm. this probably is for you. This looks nice. It's very nice. I like it. I like it. Good pick. So we have now restored balance to the episode. So see, we like things, but mm-hmm. like just like we like things, we love things with a passion. So we get passionate with things that we don't like or we feel like could be, could get better. Like yeah. we want to like things. That's mm-hmm. all. But then sometimes we we love and sometimes we love too much, and then the too much love comes out as anger. Uh, thanks so much to our sponsors of this week's episode. That is Fitbod, Hello, and Bombus. And also thank you to members. If you can go to getconnectedpro.co, you can also support the show. You'll get access to the Relay FM members Discord, but also longer ad-free episodes of every episode of Connected. If you'd like to find us online, you can go to maxstories.net for Federico's work, and he is at Fatici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Uh, you can go to uh, follow me on Twitter as well. If you like, I'm Mike, I-M-Y-K-E, and Instagram as well. Um, and you can find Steven. He's at 512pixels.net and at ISMH. Don't forget, there's a couple of days left to back his Kickstarter campaign. Federico, mm-hmm. if uh, we were going oh, on a, a first date together, I have a question for you. If we were okay. going on a first date together, and you okay. had your uh, really expensive uh, little hi-fi thing. What is it called? The the Can Alpha. Can Alpha. You had that with you, and we were some somehow in uh, range of your NUC, so it could pick up your uh, <laughs> audio. Do you actually put audio files on it as well? So you have oh, some yeah. audio. Okay, great. They're so you have some audio in, files on it. They're stored on a on a Samsung uh, Thunderbolt uh, drive. Yeah. Wait, what? Oh, you mean the NUC, right? No, no, I can- mean on the, the can oh, alpha. On the al- oh, yeah, on the al- there's an SD card. Okay, yes. I was like, wait, yeah, yeah. what? No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, I confused about the, that. The Thunderbolt <laughs> drive is connected to the NUC, the SD card is into the can alpha. Perfect. Yes. Okay, that makes more sense now. So we're on a, we're on a date, we're on our first okay. date. Okay. And I noticed this uh, Walkman of yours. I keep calling it all the different wrong names, I apologize. Um. And I say, what is that thing? You explain it to me. And I say, let me hear it. Play me a song. What song would you choose? Uh, just one. What? It's the first song I'm going to be able to listen to from this thing. Which song? So this is the first date. This is like a romantic date. So you're right? probably trying to impress me. Okay. Right? And like, but also either... like set, set the mood. Also. Like what you kind of mood? Set the mo- okay. We- well, you tell okay. me. You're the one who can okay. choose. You know, you're either you're either set in the mood here, or you're trying to like uh, impress me with how good your music taste is, or something. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let me give you let me give you th- three different mood scenarios. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've been drinking. Oh, come back. I want you to, imp- to I want to impress you with some music, but also kind of you know fun, groovy mood. I got just the right song for you. Okay. Lo- Lose Yourself to Dance by Daft Punk. Oh, that's good. You're on a Daft Punk kick right now, aren't you? I am. Yeah. <laughs> Once again. Mm-hmm. But that song, you know, with uh, the, the Nile Rodgers playing in the background and, um, you know, Pharrell doing mm-hmm. the vocals. Mm-hmm. Just an exquisite song to listen really to. Really good. Very good. Okay. Very great, good great pick for the first pick. We are in a more sort of a pensive 
mood. Oh, okay. You know? Okay? We're reflecting on things. Mm-hmm. Exile by Taylor Swift and Bonnie Burr. Ooh, okay. Very moody. Okay. Uh, it, uh, just uh, when the vocals uh, from, uh, you know, when Justin Bernon comes on at the beginning of the track, you know, it's, it's got a, a baritone uh, tone, uh, voice, I believe. Um, and that really comes through. Uh, depending on on the gear that you're listening to, uh, we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes in the pro show. But um, I feel like you listen to that the first the first minute of that song at just the right volume level, glass of red wine perhaps, the p- match made in heaven. <laughs> or oh. we can be in a really cheesy romantic mood, sort oh, of like ro- it's gone rom- really well this day. a rom-com scenario, right? Wow. You, you, know, you want to go for the hits. You want to go for the classics, uh-huh. okay? I would say I'm going to be that guy and I am going to say I put on EXO by John Mayer. You know, okay. just classic John Mayer song. It's, you know, a lot of people make fun of John Mayer because he's John Mayer. I think, you know, I also make fun of John Mayer, but he's also a really good guitar player, and I love John Mayer's voice. So I'm going for the cheesy one. Uh, it sounds great. Jo- anything from old John Mayer, uh, like uh, I have, what's in my library? I have EXO is a single, but I also have uh, Continuum from 2006, and I also have a... I'm totally blanking out on the names of John Mayer albums. Uh, the Search for for Everything from 2000, uh, 2017. It sounds great. Really, the, the guitar and the voice, you know, it's got that that sort of a darkish, warm mm-hmm. voice with the right headphones or the right speakers. It's John Mayer. You cannot go wrong. So, yeah, uh, quite a selection of songs. Um Thanks for listening to this week's episode Connected. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci.